Well, thank you so much. Uh, I always love uh, awkward moments in church. Uh, I have had a couple bad ones of my own. I, I think my worst one was I got up to the front, I was preaching and uh, one morning, and, and I got to the front and realized maybe just as I was coming up, I lost my notes. I couldn't find my, my sermon notes, completely gone. And I, I, I'm not, you know, you should be able to speak without your notes. And so I thought, well, I'll give this a go. And, uh, but I'm the type that, you know, in front of a crowd, uh, and pressure's on. Sometimes my mind just goes blank. And, and uh, it happened that morning. I started out okay, but uh, I think I had let the Carnegie Notion know that I had lost my notes. And, and uh, I said I'd try to do it without. And, and I just got stumped and couldn't remember. And, just, and then you start, you know, the pressure starts building. It just gets worse. And, and I actually had to apologize. I got... Uh, went and actually printed out my notes and, and made everyone talk among themselves. So I've had a few moments. Uh, another bad one was, it was one of the f- first funerals that I, I had led, and the family had selected a, a couple songs, and, and I'd met with the funeral director to plan the, the, the funeral. And uh, I had asked uh, if they had shown me the songs that had selected, and, and they had asked whether I'd be comfortable leading the songs. And I said, well, you know, I'm not a terrible singer, but it's, it's, uh, if you can find someone, uh, I said, that's much better. And, and so the funeral director assured me they would find someone. And then it was just before the funeral was about to begin, I asked, so who's leading the songs? Who do I introduce? He said, oh, I forgot to tell you, I, I didn't find anyone, uh, so uh, you're going to have to do it. And uh, it was okay, except they had picked a song. I, I didn't really, I couldn't recall the tune. I thought, I have no idea uh, the tune of the song. Most of you who are older would know the song very well. It's a, it's a well-known Christian hymn, uh, In the Garden. You know, he walks with me, he talks with me. But, but I could had no clue how does this song go? How does this start? And I thought, well, maybe this is just one of those songs, you know, everyone's just going to sing along. I just have to open my mouth at the beginning, and everyone will just start singing. And, uh, but it, it was a small funeral, and uh, it got to the point I knew where it started, and so I came in off-tune, definitely, and no one sang, like no one sang. <laughs> and I just did this off-key solo in front of uh, 100 people. That was uh, one of my worst experiences, so... Uh, anyways, if, if you're visiting with us, or, or perhaps I know a lot of people have been uh, away summer vacation, and so you missed, uh, it's a bad time to do a, a series in the summer, but we have been doing a series. Pastor Stu started us uh, a number of sermons on the book of Revelation, which is terrifying in itself. Um, uh, and, and this morning we're continuing looking at the letters uh, to the seven churches. We've been working our way and we're looking at the letters to Smyrna and Philadelphia. So uh, it will be on the, the overhead in a minute. It's in your bulletin. Uh, and I'll be reading it. Uh, Stu and I, we often meet on, we always meet on Tuesday mornings uh, for prayer to uh, read scripture together, to review the passages. And uh, we were reading uh, some of these letters this week. And there's a repeated phrase in all the letters that says, let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And uh, we were just batting that one around and uh, just asking, you know, why is that in there? What, what is that saying to us? Why is it repeated over and over again? And just a couple thoughts we have. Uh, one is that uh, in our circumstances, in our life today, uh, we have a God who is present. Uh, we have a God who speaks to us by his spirit, uh, who leads and guides us. Uh, the danger is, of course, that uh, we're just going at a fast rate. We don't stop to listen. 
uh, we aren't listening uh, to, to the leading of God. And, uh, and so we ask the question, you know, what has God been saying to me? What is God trying to show me? What is God saying to our church? I have uh, uh, an elderly uh, friend. She's uh, in her late 80s, and, and uh, we, she prays uh, for me and is a wonderful woman of prayer. And uh, we were talking this week, and uh, she talked about growing in maturity in her faith. And she said when in her prayer life, uh, when she was young, she would come to God with her grocery list, is what she would say. Uh, she would come to God with a list of things she wanted, you know, get me some milk and uh, whatever it might be. I'd like this and this and that. And she said, uh, over time, she, she's grown in her maturity, and now this is how she prays. She says, at the beginning of the day, she'll pray, good morning, God. What do you have in store for me? And, and she'll spend time waiting and listening. And so I almost thought about opening it up this morning, uh, but I, I'm afraid on, afraid on both sides. One is that we'd have uh, tons of people share, and we'd, we'd just, uh, I, I wouldn't get to preach. Or, or the other side, that, that there'd be silence. But I was almost thinking of opening up and asking, uh, asking you, how is God leading you? What has God's Spirit been saying to you? How is He leading us as a church? And what is God's Spirit doing in your life? Uh, and and if, if perhaps you do have something uh, exciting that, that you'd like to share, certainly feel free to interrupt me, that's fine. Uh, or, or perhaps uh, grab me, and, and, uh, and in the weeks ahead, uh, we would love to hear as a church what God's been doing in your life. Uh, we don't take time often enough for those testimonies, and, and perhaps you're like me, you need to write it out. That's not good to just stand up, because you'll go blank. Uh, but, but I did want to pray at the beginning of our message, uh, Lord, would you open our ears, would you open our hearts to hear uh, what you might be saying to us? So let's pray. God, we thank you that as we go about this journey of life that uh, you haven't left us on our own, but that you are our guide, you are our counselor, you are our advocate. And, and we think about our life and the struggles that we often carry alone. And how often we, we don't uh, turn to you, to hear from you, to seek your help. Uh, we pray this morning that uh, we would have open ears uh, to hear from you, that we'd have eyes to see you, to know your will for us, to know the path we should take. Uh, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, so we're looking at two letters. I'm going to read them. Uh, we lumped them together because they're very similar in uh, theme and purpose. Uh, the first one is chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 to 11. It's the letter to the church in Smyrna. It says this, To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, Yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown." Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
to the one who is victorious. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. And now the letter to the church in Philadelphia, it picks up uh, chapter 3, verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know you have little strength. Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole earth to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have, so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will write them on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches." Well, uh, as, as Stu's mentioned in the, in the past uh, couple weeks, the introduction to our, our series, uh, which uh, many of you weren't uh, here for, but, but uh, preaching on Revelation is difficult. Uh, wrestling with the book's imagery, the symbolism, uh, is difficult enough. Uh, what I find to be my greatest fear, the greatest challenge, uh, when discussing Revelation in the church, uh, is that uh, some Christians are, are very rigid or even fanatical regarding their theories on, on the interpretation of the book. Uh, there, you know, we've all been kind of schooled perhaps in different theories and, and we hold maybe tightly to our particular uh, theory. And, uh, you know, it can get to the point where in, in conversations uh, where we disagree, it, it, perhaps we can be made or, or some are made to feel like a second class citizen or hardly a Christian. Uh, if they don't subscribe to a particular theory or interpretation uh, regarding the end times. Uh, I, when I was preaching in Kelowna, I, I, I did preach through a, a revelation. This was definitely probably my most awkward experience ever. Uh, is I, I was preaching, uh, uh, I don't know which, which part passage I was preaching on, but someone actually got up in, in the middle of my message uh, and loudly and angrily left the ser- service saying, I'm not listening to this anymore. Um, because what I said didn't fit uh, their particular interpretation. Uh, and and uh, we did have the opportunity, it was someone who was visiting our church, we had the, had the opportunity, I had the opportunity to follow up with them, to reconcile. It was a misunderstanding. And uh, I also used that opportunity after... Uh, wondering what I was supposed to do to, to talk to the congregation about uh, what do we do when we disagree. Uh, you may not have even noticed a small print in our bulletin under the uh, sermon notes page, but Pastor Stu has, has some uh, small notes there. And basically what it says is this, in summary, it says we're in a community uh, where we welcome dialogue, uh, where uh, none of us have a corner of truth. Uh, as pastors, we stand in front of you. And, and I, I should just say, you know, I'm, I will humbly admit 
uh, that, that I, I sometimes make mistakes. And uh, certainly when I make them, if, if you have a question, come talk to us, to me, to Stu. And uh, if, we, if we made a mistake, we will certainly uh, be, be ready to admit it and, uh, and correct that as well. Uh, I certainly enjoy uh, the study, enjoy the discussion. Uh, I don't mind a good debate about Revelation. Uh, but we have no interest in getting into useless arguments or disagreements about things that aren't incredibly significant. Uh, there's one area that I commend our denomination. Uh, we're part of the, Skyview is part of uh, one denomination, the Church of the Nazarene. And, and they've avoided uh, some of this end-time speculation. Uh, one of the principles when different uh, groups, holiness groups, gathered and, and discussed merging to form the Church of the Nazarene, one of the principles that guided them was uh, in non-essentials, we'll practice charity, uh, which means we'll let people have differing opinions. Uh, we're not going to make this the, the core issue. It's, it's not uh, of ultimate importance. Uh, it's not an issue of salvation, whether you have a certain uh, theory about the, the end times. So our church doesn't have any official, elaborate end-time theory. Uh, we do have a, 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 an article of faith about the end times. It, and just in summary, uh, it says, you know, we believe that Jesus Christ is coming back. Uh, we believe there will be a final judgment. Uh, we, we believe in heaven and hell, stuff like that. Uh, and, and we encourage people to put their hope in Christ. Well, well, let me give you an example of one of the, the controversial things that, that we can disagree about. Uh, Revelation 3.10, the passage I read earlier says, uh, it talks about, I will keep you because you have been faithful. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming upon the world. Uh, there, are, there are some severe, sincere, sorry, not severe, some sincere Christians that, uh, that would read that verse, Revelation 3.10, I will keep you from the aisle of trial that's coming upon the world. And they would read into that verse the pre-tribulation rapture of the church that is coming. You know, the popular left-behind view. And I probably lost half of you who would say pre-tribulation. What are you even talking about? Uh, other sincere Christians would argue that John was likely referring to a trial or persecution the Philadelphian church was literally facing. Uh, something that was in their context at the time. Uh, and so uh, Christians can argue about these details. Uh, we can be divided over these types of details. Uh, but here we aren't inter interested in speculating. Uh, Christians waste too much time on arguments like this, which cause us to miss the important point of the book. And, and here's the things that are important. And, and even though Revelation is intimidating with its symbolism and imagery, it's very possible for even someone who's unschooled uh, to pick up this book and be able to figure out the foundational method, message of the book, the theme. Uh, Daryl Johnson, one of the authors who's, who got, has been guiding uh, uh, Pastor Stu and I, has wrote, written a book called Discipleship on the Edge. Uh, he, he tells this story of a group of seminary students, Bible college students, and a janitor. And the students, uh, for a season, they were playing basketball in a nearby high school gym. And, and while they played, the janitor, who had been kind enough to let them in after hours and play in the gym, he would borrow one of their Bibles and, and would read their Bible. And, and one day, one of the young men uh, asked the janitor, what have you been reading in the Bible? Uh, Revelation, replied the janitor. The seminarian chuckled. He said, yeah, right. 
And, and having heard one of his professors say that no one really understands this strange book, the student asked sarcastically, Well then, tell me what it means. The janitor looked to the right and then to his left. He leaned into the seminarian's ear and he whispered, It means that Jesus is going to win. And that is the heart of the message. In fact, Daryl Johnson argues even better would be that Jesus has already won. That things are not as they appear. When we read the newspaper or we watch TV, often it's easy to give up on God. God's ways don't seem very attractive when we compare them to the advertisements, the commercials we see on TV uh, that promises happiness, wealth, and beauty, and on and on. We get discouraged because we see that we, we, it appears that evil is winning. Uh, we see people who are corrupt, you know, rise to places of power and wealth, get away with murder, while innocent victims continue to be trampled on. And, and the temptation is to give up, to despair, to capitulate, to compromise. Uh, what Revelation does uh, is, it, is it pulls back the curtain. Uh, like, like in the Wizard of Oz, where, where uh, you know, behind the curtain there was the man controlling the machine. Uh, the wealth, the pomp, the power of this world it is a temporary illusion. Uh, it, it seems threatening, it seems powerful, but, but when we pull back the curtain, as Revelation does, it reminds us that, that what is enduring is Jesus Christ, the last and the first, who is on the throne, who was there in the beginning, will be there at the end. Things are not as they appear to be. Uh, looking at these two letters today, the letter to Smyrna, the church in Smyrna and Philadelphia, there's some common themes. Uh, these churches are facing difficult circumstances. Uh, they're facing uh, affliction and persecution and pressure. Uh, the, the image, uh, the, the word affliction, that is actually, uh, it talks about a crushing affliction. It's like being a... a uh, under a heavy weight or, or uh, have a, having a crushing uh, rock on top of you. We use the phrase uh, in our language, we talk about being a rock, be, be, being between a rock and a hard place. Uh, what was their circumstances? Uh, John talks about poverty. You're in poverty. Uh, to be a Christian in, in this society uh, often meant lost livelihood. To be a business person would mean that you're part of a business guild and to be able to own a business in this day, you'd have to be part of a guild. Uh, many Christians were being thrown out of their trade guild. They would lose their livelihood, their ability to, to earn an income. Uh, many early Christians lost their community. Uh, this, these, both of the letters mention the synagogue. And, and uh, a number of the, the new people who are coming to faith in Christ were Jews. And coming to faith, professing faith in Christ, might mean that they were kicked out of their family, kicked out of their synagogue. The door was now closed to them. They lost their community. Uh, some were thrown into prison. The letter to Shmirna specifically talks about how some will be thrown into prison, and even some will be put to death. Uh, one of the, the famous, most famous martyrs of the early church uh, was a man named Polycarp. Uh, Polycarp was martyred in 155 A.D., uh, common era. He was tried, uh, condemned, and burned alive. And, and Polycarp uh, was the bishop of Smyrna. Uh, he was from, uh, sh from Smyrna, or, or at least uh, he was the bishop in charge of the church in Smyrna. 
And uh, the story goes that, that Polycarp was facing execution and, and was standing before the court in, in a public place. And he was given the opportunity uh, for his life to be spared. Uh, he was told, you know, if you de- deny your faith in Christ, and, and if you uh, sacrifice to Caesar, offer sacrifice to Caesar, we'll let you go. And, and Polycarp famously replied, he said, 86 years I have been a slave to Jesus Christ. And he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? After hearing this, the hostile crowd uh, erupted in anger, gathered wood for his burning, and prohibited the Christians from taking the body to be buried. The church in Smyrna and Philadelphia faced crushing pressure. And now we can see why the, why the vision that, that John relates to them, this vision of Jesus Christ, is so encouraging and powerful You know, they had been kicked out of the trade guilds. The doors had been shut to them. They'd been kicked out of the synagogue and not allowed to enter. And John relates this vision of Jesus Christ. He says, I have the keys. I've opened a door that no one can shut. No one's able to kick you out of this door. Jesus, uh, in chapter 1, it says, He is the faithful witness. The the word for witness, uh, a synonym for witness is martyr. That Christ is the faithful martyr who gave up his life. And, and so uh, even, even as they face uh, martyrdom, giving up their life, they look to the one who was the first martyr, the faithful martyr, the faithful witness. And, and the one who was dead but now is alive again, who holds the keys of death and hell. And there's wonderful promises that we read. The letter to Philadelphia talks about how, how Christ will write his name on them. The name, the new name that, that I have, the name of my Father, and the name of the holy city. I will make you a pillar in the temple. As I wrestled with these, these uh, letters, I, I thought about our own circumstance here in Calgary, in, in Skyview today. And, and this message of persecution, you know, it's, it's hardly relevant to us. Uh, it doesn't seem so relevant. Uh, you know, I've, we, how many of us have, have lost livelihoods, have, have lost our life, or been thrown in prison because of our faith? As I reflected further, I, I thought perhaps this is more relevant than we realize. Uh, as I mentioned, I was at kids camp last week, and, and uh, we had uh, one of the things we did in the chapel was we allowed uh, the children to share about some of the challenges they, are fa- they were facing, and we had their cabin leaders pray for them. And, and at first, uh, we didn't have many, but, but afterwards there was a lineup of k- children, uh, 10-year-old, 11-year-old kids. And, uh, you, know, I was, I was, you know, I was a little skeptical how profound it are, 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 is anything that they say, is it going to be that profound? Or, you know, when you ask a kid, who wants to share, they all put up their hands. And, and then, uh, but often they haven't really thought through. They just want to do it because everyone else is doing it. But uh, we had these lineup of kids, and they were just sharing heartbreaking things. Uh, about, you know, a kid was sharing how uh, he'd go to the park with his friends, and there was a group of kids there that would uh, beat them up and steal their, their things and bully them. And other kids talked about marriages, uh, parents' marriages that had broken up and, and uh, relatives, uh, parents that were uh, cancer. Uh, one one had, a, had a brother who was dealing with cancer, a mother that was dealing with cancer. And, and, uh, and, and the thing I realized, and we don't often do that in, in the church, we don't often know each other and the burdens, the struggles, the suffering that each of us carries. Uh, we are all familiar with suffering. Uh, we know the loss of broken relationships. 
uh, of physical or mental illness. Uh, and on and on. Uh, more people than we realize, even in our culture, are living on the brink, barely holding things together, ready to give up on their faith, their relationships, even their calling or their life. There are all different kinds of pressure that we face. Uh, persecution is one. Uh, you know, just the, the pressure of putting food on the table, that's a difficult one from time to time. Uh, there's even the pressure of spiritual complacency to abandon our first love, as, as Stu preached on last week, to be seduced uh, by, by the commercials we see on TV or as Revelation talks about the, the riches of Babylon. And here's my, my first point as we deal with, relating to dealing with suffering. Uh, we ask the question, why the suffering? When we're going through difficult things, when we, we have that, that uh, burden that we've prayed for time and time again, Lord, help me, take this away, I can't handle this. You know, sometimes uh, we ask, why? Why does this happen? And, and what we learn from Scripture is sometimes our suffering is the result of poor choices we've made. It's the result of our sin. It's the result of our stupidity or rebellion. But the other truth is sometimes there is suffering that is through no fault of our own. In fact, it's brought about by our faithfulness. Uh, what's unique about Smyrna and Philadelphia is of the seven letters, these two, there was nothing that they were being corrected for. All the other letters to the other churches, they were being corrected. Something in their church, they were being rebellious, they needed to repent. Smyrna and Philadelphia, they're very positive letters. They're being commended for all sorts of things, for, do, for being faithful, for persevering, for enduring. And yet they're still suffering hardship. Uh, you know, we ask, what am I doing wrong? Why is God punishing me? Why won't God answer my prayer? Well, well the truth is, uh, there is suffering that, that uh, is, is not related to our unfaithfulness, but it's just, just a part of life. Well, the, the next thing that, that I wanted to mention on, and Kelly, it came through well in, in our worship. Uh, in all the letters to the churches, one thing that's repeated over and over again is, is Jesus addresses the churches and he says this. He says, I know, I know. Uh, uh, it's not, you know, I know, I know what you're going through. I, I, I know your circumstance. Uh, it, what, you, you might have missed it, but in, in, in the chapter 1 at the beginning, it talks about the seven churches being seven lampstands, and it says that Jesus Christ was in the midst, in the midst of the lampstands, in the midst of the churches. God, Jesus isn't far away. It's not just, you know, I, I've seen from a distance, I see what you're going through, or I've heard that you're going through this difficult circumstances. The word is, I know. Uh, I remember uh, in school growing up uh, having to learn French. And, and you know, in French, there's, there's, multiple, uh, there's multiple words for knowledge. Uh, there's savoir and connaître, right? Uh, and I'm not going to try to figure out the difference between the two. But uh, there are different depths of knowledge. Uh, you know, that uh, to know can mean I know something in my head. Uh, it, it, it could also mean, um, you know, I, I've been there. Uh, perhaps you've said to someone, you know, you've got to be very brave to say these words, I know what you're going through. And because uh, you, you might get, well, how, do you, how can you know? You've never been there. You've never, you've never done this. Uh, you've never been there. Uh, but there, there's that deeper knowledge that says, you know, I've walked that road. I've been there. Uh, and, and there's even, even a, I think, a deeper sense of knowledge in, is, is that I'm suffering with you. I, I, I'm, I'm going through this circumstance with, you, with us. And I, I think that is, is in this phrase when it says, I know, 
your affliction. Uh, the message is that Jesus knows that God is familiar with our pain in the deepest way. Uh, later we come to the table and, and, and participate in the Lord's Supper and communion. And when we do that, we partake of the broken body and blood of Jesus Christ. And it speaks to that deep, mysterious union. Uh, it speaks to a God who lowered himself, who became human like us in every respect, who shared our flesh and blood, who took upon himself our broken nature and condition, who, who shared our suffering and our sorrow and our sin. And now Jesus knows our pain and shares our suffering. Uh, so, the, so the book of Hebrews can, can say that, you know, he, he suffered in every way just like we suffer. And so Jesus can say to the churches in Revelation, I know. Uh, the next point about suffering is that, that we learn from the, the, these letters is, is that suffering is limited. It has an end. Uh, different numbers are, are given, and, and Pastor Stu talked a little bit how uh, apocalyptic literature uses numbers. Uh, in, in the letter to Smyrna, it talks about for 10 days you will face trial. Uh, in, in the letter to Philadelphia, it talks about for one hour. For one hour, there'll be great trial upon the world. Uh, later in the, revela- later in, the, in the book, it talks about a seven-year period of tribulation. And, and uh, you know, we, we, uh, we sometimes get caught into whether these numbers are they literal or figurative. Uh, and, and I don't want to get into uh, trying to figure that all out here. But, but the point is this. The main point, I think, is, is that suffering is limited. It, it's, in the light of eternity, it is short. It has an end. Uh, I've been working through, as, as I worked through these messages this week, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 really came to heart, and I've been working through that chapter as well. And, and there, uh, the Apostle Paul talks about suffering. And he says that our present suffering, our present affliction, though it is difficult, he says these are slight momentary afflictions. They're not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed. Uh, the old hymn says this, it says, It will be worth it all. When we see Jesus, life's troubles will seem so small when we see Christ. Uh, praise the Lord. That also uh, was the, the, the uh, inspiration for the, the title. And I'm not good with titles, but I, I titled it Bruised but Not Broken. Uh, in in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4, it talks about, you know, we, we are afflicted, but we're not crushed. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. And he goes on and on with, with several images like this, that even though this is difficult and hard, and we may lose our, our life, in, in ultimate terms, uh, we can trust the Lord. We're encouraged to fix our eyes on Jesus. Uh, the promise to the church is, is, I am the first, and I am the la- last. I was dead, and I came to life. I am the faithful witness, the faithful martyr. As we sang, Christ is the one who overcame. And as we'll read later in Revelation, it wasn't, he didn't overcome through power, through flexing his muscles, but it was actually through the suffering and death. The lamb that was slain is the victorious king on the throne. And I know I'm getting ahead in the series, so I'll leave that. But, but have you noticed, perhaps you've picked it up already, uh, but maybe you haven't noticed yet how the, each of the letters to the seven churches ends. Uh, it all ends this way. It says, to him who overcomes, to those who conquer, uh, different translations will say, uh, to those who conquer, I will give. To those who overcome, I will give. Uh, we ultimately look to the one who overcame, 
Jesus overcame. Jesus conquered sin, Satan, and death. And so we can press on, we can endure, we can overcome, because Jesus did. Uh, Jesus had his, his difficulties and trials too. We know his prayer in the garden. You know, if there's another way, take this cup from me. I can't, you know, this is difficult. But then he said, not my will be done, but your will be done. And he submitted himself in obedience. What we have uh, in the midst of our, our suffering is, is we have the promise of God. Uh, the, the, the hope that we find in these messages is that Christ has opened a door that no one can shut. And, and though we all face that first death, uh, you know, death has a, has a 100% success rate. I mean, it's, it's the reality for us all. Uh, those who put their hope in Christ won't be touched by the second death. That God will make us a pillar in his temple. He'll write his name on us. You know, property of Jesus Christ. No one can touch us. We come to the table this morning remembering that Christ is the faithful witness who overcame the temptations of this world. He didn't take the easy way out, but was faithful to death for you and me. Uh, Daryl Johnson puts it this way. He says, The last book of the Bible calls us to a radical discipleship, to all-out courageous loyalty to the Lamb, in a world feverishly worshiping the beast. And so as we come to the table, we come so humbly, admitting our need of grace, of forgiveness, of help. We also come with hope and joy as we consider the incredible love of God who withholds nothing from us, who in his death defeated the worst foes we have. As we come to the table, let's do so in prayer. Would you join me? Heavenly Father, uh, as we partake of this holy meal, uh, we look to your Son. Uh, we remember your heart, uh, who withheld nothing from us, who suffered the worst this life has to offer, uh, pain, being abandoned, forsaken, uh, being mocked, humiliated. But you bore our sin, you bore our shame. Well, we thank you that you defeated death, that death is not the end, and, and that those, in, those who hope in you, uh, no matter what we face in this life, uh, we know that you're working all things out towards a good purpose. Uh, we bring to you our needs, our concerns, our hurts, our fears, our, our afflictions. Uh, we know that in a group like this, there, there are uh, multiple situations, but, but each of us says, Lord, we need you. Uh, we bring you our, 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 the cries of our heart. And we are thankful that you hear, that, that you do not, you never leave us or forsake us, or forsake us, that, that through the water, through the flood, through the fire, that you will be with us. Uh, that even now, you carry our pain. You intercede on our behalf. Uh, you, know, you know our heart cry. So give us strength, Lord. Give us strength where if, uh, if there is need, Lord, that, that uh, we would turn our back on things that are not of your will, that we would hear and, and be obedient to where you're calling us to, uh, 
leave our our folly, leave our sin and follow you. Uh, Give us strength and courage to make those changes. And and Lord, where there is suffering, uh, not as a result of of our disobedience, but but just for no reason, Lord, we we just pray that uh, we would not grow weary, that we would not grow heart, uh, lose heart, but that we would trust in you to walk with us, that we would persevere, that we would be overcomers. Uh, We admit we need your strength. We need your power. Uh, May we not deny you. Uh, We thank you for for the the line of people, uh, those who stand uh, like like Polycarp and those who have passed the faith on to us, those who have have made their stand, uh, those who have courageously preached your name, uh, even when it meant suffering on their behalf. Uh, We pray that we would have the same courage in, in our culture today to stand for you. Uh, to proclaim your love in in our homes, uh, in in our community. Heavenly Father, we don't deserve your welcome at your table. We admit that we are sinners in need of grace, and yet you welcome us still. Uh, Would you examine our hearts, examine our lives, and uh, would you grant us uh, forgiveness and make us new today? We thank you for your welcome. And we thank you for these gifts, your body and your blood, the bread and the juice. And we pray that uh, what you came to do, what you came to give us, would be a reality in our life, that we would be set free from sin, that we would uh, be your children who, who bear your name, who bear your image. Uh, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.